What is up, everybody? You're listening to the Grace and the Gray podcast, where we use the black and white of Scripture to speak into the gray areas of our lives. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Sam. Hello. My buddy James. Hey. Rick. Howdy. How's everybody doing today? Swell. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, today, our plan is to make the gray areas even grayer. Because we are about to talk, uh, I guess this is part two of the conversation concerning uh, membership. And Sam has told us that she has a tidbit that she'd like to begin with. Sam. Yes, not a statistic, a tidbit. So after our last last episode, I made a post on the Grace and the Gray podcast Instagram account. If you're not following, go follow at Grace and the Gray podcast. And it says, does attending church regularly make you a member? And so of those that answered, 67% said no. Attending church regularly doesn't make me a member. So my follow-up question to that is, if you know it doesn't make you a member, why are you not joining? What do you think is the reason behind if that? If I can paraphrase the question, it's what's these people's problem? Is that what, <laughs> what I heard you say? What is actually so? wrong with you? <laughs> no, I, I, as is usually the case, I have a question concerning your question. Yes. What, what's, what do you think like is the breakdown of those comments like between people who are actually connected to Cedar Creek and people who are not? Oh, I don't know that. That that would be interesting to me to find out because it, like the answer to that question, I think a lot of what we settled on last week was essentially depends on your church, right? Yeah. Because some churches may not have like a formalized process to actually join as an official member where I think most probably do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it just kind of depends. So my thought on that, and I, I see this at the risk of veering into a different topic, but uh, Rick kind of touched on it at the beginning of our first episode on this. Uh, there's like a generational breakdown in the trust of institutions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's difficult to argue anyone into believing that. Um, and I think the church is in part of that. I mean, there's, you name it, there's something somewhere, whether it's public schools, whether it's private schools, whether it's uh, trusting parents to teach their own kids. I mean, there's, there's that just in education in church i think you've got the same thing uh no matter what your denomination or what your belief system some somebody somewhere is reckoning with something and i think that's people's hesitancy to take a step i think some of that like i don't know it almost feels like our generation and i'm a millennial and then the generation after me which i guess is gen z it almost feels like some of that distrust for institution also has led to some like, I don't know if this is a term, but institutional rebellion. Like I'm just anything that has been accepted as norm for forever, I'm going to rebel against. And I think some of that causes the pushback in this conversation. And so it's like I'm going to attend and I'm not going to. And whether people would put it in these terms or not, it's almost this like silent rebellion of like my parents did that. So I'm not going to do that. Like that's something they were a part of. So I'm not going to do it. And they wouldn't, they may not even word it that way. It may not mean it in any malice or anything like that. It's just kind of this position of, because I don't trust the institution or institutions as a whole, these things that have always been a kind of adopted norms of the institution. I'm going to not partake in just as a default. Yeah. uh, One of my famous minority opinions, (laughs) Um, or it may not be, I really don't know, but I would be afraid of or nervous about like devaluing number one, the kind of the sociological importance of like the young adult generation's responsibility to like question some of the the norms because I think it's important. And number two, another thing, what did you say? What was your thing? 
Oh, distrust of institutions that mm-hmm. that some of that distrust isn't earned or merited, right? Sure. Um, and that includes the church. That I wouldn't exclude the church from that list. So those are two things that I I think are worth bringing up. Yeah, I think one of my big things with people when I get into these these conversations that are maybe complex is the best word for it is regardless of your conviction, own it. I think there's danger in and again not trying to generalize whole generations, but it does a lot of times it plays out that way, like in the older generation that would draw the hard line and. You have to be a church member because we've always been a church member because we've always done something is never a good foundation for reasons that we should continue to do it. I think continuing to inventory that, which is kind of one of the goals of this podcast is continue to examine why you're doing it back up in the eight, especially for us as believers to be called to be a people of the book, right? Like where do we find this in God's word? And if it's not in God's word, is it something that we're adding because we believe that it's helping us achieve something that is in God's word or because it's just something that we've all, that we've always done. And I think if it does boil down to it, something that you've always done, I would encourage you to own your conviction more than that. And if you're on the younger side of that, or if you're in the flip side of that camp and you're like, I'm just doing this because they've always done it that way. And I haven't, I think that's the, that's a really lazy way to li- live your life as well, to just object to things in some abstract manner just because you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, any Anytime you have like really thoroughgoing questioning of something that's been done one way for a really long time, I think it should it should have to lead in one of two directions, which is uh, either recognizing a lack of value and getting rid of it or recognizing that it has value and a rejuvenation of it. Mm. And I think the conversation for membership, maybe in the church for a long time, has been essentially doing neither, which is it's really not that helpful. So people are just kind of quietly either not doing it or doing it. But we're not really talking about, well, why is there so much questioning of it? How, how can we how can we reestablish its meaningfulness in someone's actual faith walk versus it just being a thing that we do? I think and this has been kind of a since we talked about it in the first episode, this has kind of been one of the things as a church leader that's been heartbreaking to me. And I, and I, I kind of have these moments where. You know, I believe it's the Holy Spirit kind of whispering or just kind of puts a thought up there for something for me to ponder from the conversation. And the heartbreaking thing to me is that we have people who faithfully attend our churches who don't see membership of the church as something worth doing. And some of that burden has got to be on us as church leadership, Mm -hmm. right? Like you go back and you study the book of Acts and you look at people who are selling everything that they have, like living on the bare minimum to create this community. And like, I'm like, yeah, that's 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 membership, right? Like that's I'm I'm bought in and it's so much in Western culture. It's been just reduced to this religious event that I attend. And so why should I do anything more? Everybody else around me is just attending. And even, you know, I think everything and this would be a I don't want to I certainly don't want to get off on this conversation. Like I think it's also we've, we've lessened everything, even that it is to be a part of the church. Like we're like, hey, volunteer with our kids instead of hey, walk out your spiritual giftedness that's a response of your surrendering your life to the gospel by demonstrating to our kids because your spiritual giftedness equips you to do that in a way that calls them to surrender their lives to the gospel. And we just slap this logo of, hey, we need you to volunteer because the parents are going to be in here for an hour and we need you to take care of it instead of, no, we need you to be a part of this thing and we need you to live out the redemption that you've received as part of the gospel. And that's so much deeper than volunteering or signing a piece of paper. And that's kind of been my heartbreak since we started this conversation is, man, for so much of the Western culture, the church gets frustrated, church leadership gets frustrated and goes, well, the young people just don't want to join the church. And I'm like, 
Yeah, that's but ask, what, ask the question why, right? Well, like, ask the what? question why, and I'm like, or ask the question, what are you asking them to join, yeah. right? Like, if if it's, I'm just going to show up on Sunday morning and that's what church is, well then, okay, I, I don't, I don't want to join. But if it's, I want you to be a part of something life-changing, transformational that's going to call you to die to yourself, to pick up your cross, to find these very clear black and white mandates that we find in Scripture, that we see the church in Scripture being the organization that helps believers walk in. Is your church doing that? Is our church doing that? Are we wrestling with that? Or is this just some like religious practice? And I yeah. think that's the that's been well, the heartbreaking the, thing. The problem or the struggle is almost framed in the way that even we've been discussing the question. And we're, you know, we're discussing the question in the way that it presented itself to us, I guess, just the popular question or the question on our mind, which is, um, sh- should we have to mm. or should believers have to? Which is not necessarily a bad question, but it does kind of betray the issue of like, is it is it not so heavily or should it not be so heavily incentivized to be a part of this community that the better question would be why in God's name would you not? Um, but it doesn't seem to be set up that way because it does seem to be a lot more just like like we keep saying, sign the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's something that I was actually I was on the phone right before we started and kind of bouncing some things um, off a, a longtime uh, trusted friend of mine. And I brought that up that we make the assumption, I don't know that it's wrong, but I don't know that it's right, uh, that when we're entering the conversation about membership and some other things, that we are arguing for it while the person on the other end is arguing against it. And I'm with you that that's really not a great default position because uh, the best word I've heard for it, I heard from southern baptist convention recently in a totally different context but it's friendly cooperation Mm -hmm. that's at its heart probably the best picture of what we're looking for out of people on both sides of church membership the established member and the incoming member Mm -hmm. but it assumes that you know again why wouldn't you we're all here after the same yeah like shared responsibility for the function of the whole but also shared responsibility in a way that is fulfilling, so fulfilling that you wouldn't want to be on the outside. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that's one of the struggles, I think, and it's kind of runs into like the consumerism of Western culture that we find ourselves in is like this. It's this weird and I don't know the best way to word this because this is kind of one of those ethereal thoughts that I get lost in in my brain. And it's like, you know, I don't know what to do with it, but it's like that's my specialty. <laughs> that's where I that's where I thrive. It's like the church exists for the body of believers but the shallow understanding of that is driven by consumerism of western culture and so it's this organization that's supposed to produce something for me that benefits me and at one degree that's true but if we just unpack that through just an american lens of it's going to sing the songs that i like they're going to preach the messages that i like they're going to teach the things that i like they're going to make my kids behave the way that i like that's the danger that we run to instead of their they're going to call me to see, and I, I would encourage you if you if you've never spent some time in the Book of Acts to do that, to read and to really research what that really kind of, because that's the the beginning, right? Like that, that's the beginning of this framework for the post Jesus Christian Church after Jesus's ascension. And it's like, man, it's so 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 counter to so much of what we do in Western culture. Is it's just like this? It's not just a thing that I attend or a, even a group that i participate in is it is an extension of who i am right like this is this isn't this is me right this is and it's that level of buy-in and i'm like 
that's been, and again, that's been, I keep using that word, that's been the heartbreak since we start this conversation that's been, man, how much of Western church culture is that, mm-hmm. you know, and how much of it is simply we're asking people that's like, hey, let's come be a part of this thing where we're going to try to give you everything that you want that makes you happy and makes you feel good and you leave on Sunday yeah, okay. morning. So that being like the entertainment yeah. aspect of things. And the yeah. coffee and the donuts. Yeah, it's the difference between like the the church exists for the body of believers in the way that Netflix yeah. exists or provides entertainment for like the viewer yeah. or a better way to look at it would be like in the same way that your doctor exists for you, mm-hmm. like very different attitudes to take. Sure, right? It's yeah. not and just entertainment. That, it's they hold you accountable. They look at what you're doing and help you find different ways to live a healthier lifestyle. They, But it requires like trust in that authority. Yeah. Right. And that's, yeah, that's where I was trying to go with my ethereal thought that I just vomited for three minutes and didn't make any sense. <laughs> I appreciate Thank you. That's for your special. What I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of goes to one of our um, podcasts. I mean, our, Instagram followers questions. So it kind of goes to what you're talking about serving and, and partake or consuming the church instead of being a part of it. The question was, why do you think that church hopping or shopping is a trend? And then my follow up is, is it really a trend or has that always been in the history of the church? Do you know anything historically about Church hopping and church I mean, I, shopping. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's. I a, just know anecdotally. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a weird thing because it, that's such a it's not a vague term like and like you're intentionally being vague or trying to mislead the conversation. That's not what I'm saying. But like, depending on how you chose to define church hopping or church shopping, I mean, you could probably go. Well, that's how the Reformation happened. I'm like, ah, that's that's, <laughs> oh, a, that's little, a huge stretch. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. yeah that's, that's a bit stretchy. But you know, you could get somebody that's listening. Like, well, if we, nobody was church hopping or shopping or wanted churches to do things differently we would all be Catholic, you know what I mean? Or whatever it may be. Um, If Martin Luther had gotten his way, we'd all be Catholic. Yeah. (laughs) He wanted to stay Catholic. Yeah. And so I think to some degree, and I think that's one of the benefits of this, like, like asking, like, I love that idea of cooperative fellowship. Was that what? what? Friendly, 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 whatever James said, but we'll ride your podcast (laughs) for five minutes, (laughs) friendly cooperation and figure out what James term to use. But uh, (laughs) I stole that term (laughs) is, I think that there's so much benefit in that. And one of the things that I think would be a huge beckoning to become a member of the church would be viewing it that way of like shifting this ideology of church shopping to be, I'm going to find something that serves me in the way that I most want to be served, that it's going to be the Netflix for me into mm-hmm. I'm going to church shop to become part of an organization that I believe that I can help improve and that is going to edify me and use me to edify other people who come into the organization. I think. One of those is biblical, and I would contend, trying to recall as much as I can from church history class, I think one of those is a very much a Western ideology, especially a, even probably a post-megachurch movement, 9-11, all that kind of stuff, movement in church culture where we've just created it. The American tag is, because I, I had a conversation Sunday um, with our outreach director, Todd, where we were just talking about churches all over the world he's like man it it doesn't exist like this he's like no in places it does but you go other places and it's it's just people with no sound equipment no songs no organized message and it's just they're doing these things i'm like church exists in all those different ways and i'm not saying you know turn off your sound turn off your lights i'm not Mm -hmm. doing that people have certainly taken it that way but i think it's it's become so much about those things and so little about what it was supposed to be about and biblically we find it to be about that it's easy to become church shopping is just I'm going to find something that's mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. James, didn't you have a 
an epiphany between last episode and this episode? Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> and I almost... We're uh, here for it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I did not lead with this in the last episode, although I thought about it, because um, Rick gave the disclaimer about the topic that we're currently still discussing. And I want to give a personal disclaimer that anything that I say may not uh, reflect the thoughts or opinions of me <laughs> because it, I, I'm wrestling with this. Uh, it's fascinating to, I've grown up in church, so I've seen things uh, from a lot of different I've sides. <laughs> yeah, it sounded I've quite ominous. I've seen it. I was there. But one of the things that, uh, I mentioned last week was the, the the marriage comparison, and that gets made in Scripture several times. Um, and early on in discussion, discussing this topic before we ever talked around the table here, um, I mentioned it to my wife, and I said, here's the thing. I've got three different couples in mind right now that are as married as anybody I would say has ever stood you know, up at the altar and said, I do. But they don't have paperwork to show it. And they've not had a wedding, but they're as married as anybody I've ever seen without checking that box. And she goes, that's a, that's a fair point. And I said, yep. And that's kind of my thing is I, I can see there not being the need to put your name on the page. And between last episode and this episode, I realized that all three of those couples have either gotten engaged or actually married since that thought entered my head, which points to the epiphany that I'm actually kind of leaning towards now, which is, yeah, it does kind of matter that you formalize. <laughs> so, and I'd also like to throw in that for side, if you would just like to text or put in the show notes, you're like, ladies, if you're waiting on your man to give you a ring and you would just like James to start thinking about you, evidently that will push them over the edge and you will get married in a very brief period he did of time. Say. James, the matchmaker. In two weeks, everyone has gotten married. What was the line you used? Oh, I should have proposed to this girl. So were yeah. they listeners of the podcast and that made them propose? I will find out. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that might obligate us to do something for the... They might have to have a gray wedding cake or something. <laughs> yes. We'll make the inside gray. Um, oh, if that's worse. Yeah. The inside gray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my my thoughts on the other side of that is that it's it's less informal and uh, a lot closer. What my mind jumped to was Joshua chapter four, which is the children of Israel as they're crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land. Um, God says to Joshua, "Hey, uh, have them pick up some stones." And when they get to the other side, they stack these stones up as a memorial that God did a thing for the purpose of later being able to point back to it and say, yeah, that's from that time God did a thing. And I think Scripture gives us pictures of having those types of moments um, because God is doing a new thing. That's that's his mm -hmm. MO. Uh, so when we recognize that, I think it's important for us to let me back up on that. I think people, this is a Jamesism. This is not necessarily, this is grace and James. Disclaimer. Not, not grace in the black and white of anything. Um, I think people like having a way to formalize stuff like that that's important to them. Um, people like having something they can do. And I don't think that's wrong. Um, 
Now, I'm dealing with church membership here from the, am I signing my name on the page kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to our earlier conversation on all this and uh, some of the things we brought up, I think people do reach a point where it does mean something to them. And having a good outlet, being able to say, yeah, this is real. I am a part of this. And I mean it so much, I'm going to propose or do next steps class or you know fill in the blank i think i think there's an important aspect there being able to look back later and say yes Mm -hmm. god was working and that's where i saw it and that's when i did something in response Uh, your original question um why do so many people know that it doesn't make you a member but uh, they don't do it anyway many of them probably don't i guess um makes me think of what you were talking about earlier with not assuming that when you have the conversation in your head or in a roundtable discussion like this that you're not talking to somebody who doesn't agree with it um and i think probably i think last week you also made a comment about apathy i think that plays a huge Mm -hmm. role in this conversation specifically so just trying to figure out like we we want it to be something that's meaningful enough to where people it wouldn't be reasonable to ask the question like why would i like you don't ask the question why would i go to a theme park i would because i hate theme parks but the average human being (laughs) wouldn't ask the question why why should i go to disney world right because there's enough uh to enjoy there to actually want to go to it i guess i'm wondering for you guys like if we wanted to if we found it worthwhile to combat the apathy concerning membership what do you think should uh, be the biggest incentive or the most meaning that's gained by becoming a member of a church? And how could that be worked out and like the logistics of membership? And that's a good question. Sometimes your questions make my head hurt. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> we'll answer Ben's questions in the next six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying, are, are you saying what are ways we can address those who don't see the benefit of church membership kind of or how do we create an organization that's difficult to be apathetic to or that doesn't make sense to be apathetic to as part of a church membership yeah or like actually combat the apathy by having something that we can very easily establish as like worthwhile to where mm-hmm. if somebody asks like mm-hmm. why should i become a member you would be able to answer like why wouldn't you you get this you get this you get to experience that like and yeah i guess that's that's so, probably the simplest way oh, to ask the question okay get that makes it feel like something tangible you know like oh we're gonna feed you lunch well, we we use the yeah the good idea right that, uh, people love lunch i join that church no but we're talking about the fact that it's it's actually meaningful and we've used the um language of covenant surrounding this and the idea of a covenant covenant is that it's mutual submission for mutual benefit mm-hmm. so what's the mutual benefit mm-hmm. we know the church gets something out of people becoming members because we have a piece of paper that says we can hold them accountable sure that's a, a vast oversimplification of it but like for somebody who's actually submitting to that so do we make it more you talked about in the last episode how rituals are important mm-hmm. and then james you're talking about the stacking of the stones and something to look back to. So how do we make the experience of becoming a member a true experience? Maybe that's part of it is making it enough of an experience to where you like you want to be involved mm-hmm. in it or I think I think there's also some and this is this kind of backs up to the idea that you kind of put on with the doctor thing when we were talking about like it is and it isn't for me like it's kind of that parallel universe where it's both of those things at the same time. And I think it's 
if we if we flesh out and help as church leaders to create an environment that's conducive to what we see the church be in the New Testament, right? Starting yeah. in Acts and then played out through Paul's letters and Paul mostly what he's trying to get the church to return to being because it's you know the church has messed it up and then they get it. Church be churching. Yeah, they be churching and Paul be smacking. So it's, you know that's what we do from prison a lot of times. But uh, and I think there's this. In my thought, and this probably isn't entirety, and it's not going to answer the question in entirety, because I really do think that's a we could spend episodes talking about that and, and facilitating what you're talking about and battling back against apathy to church membership. But I think in pushing back, because it's where my head's been since we started this conversation with the westernized idea of of happiness versus the biblical idea of joy. Like we're, I feel like the church has become this organization by and large in Western culture that just sells people happiness. Like we're trying to be Disney world, right? Like that's the mm. model that we've gone to is like, come here because on Christmas Eve, we'll, dre- we'll, we'll dress up like Mickey mouse and we'll shoot fireworks and we'll do special things. And we'll do all of these kind of things instead of come here and we are going to create an environment and we are going to help grow people to where all of us are mutually responsible for encouraging and spurring us to live in a deeper sense of joy that transcends circumstances. And that's so difficult because many, if not all of us that are listening to this podcast are so, so marred by Western culture that we never really get to. It's like, well, yeah, joy is bigger than circumstances, but we live our entire lives. It's constitutional pursuing happiness, right? And so it's breaking from that mentality to go, hey, I'm I'm not calling you to Disney World. Like I'm, I'm, I want you to understand to become a part of the body of Christ is not for your entertainment, but it, but there will be that, right? Like there will be those aspects of it and there will be, it's not solely for your benefit, but that will be there because we believe that God is working all things for good and that we are called to pour into each other lovingly and responsibly to where we're all walking in a deeper and truer form of joy yeah, and and chalk it up to a bad metaphor that i use disney world as an example sure. what i don't mean is uh people who are thinking about joining the church should enjoy the idea or like the idea of sure. joining a church for the same reason that they like the, the idea mm-hmm. of going to disney world i guess what i really mean is People who are thinking about joining the church should have enough of an incentive structure to actually benefit from doing it in the same way that they very obviously do when it comes to Disney World. Yeah, I, I think Ephesians 4, and we were unpacking this in, in my small group yesterday, and it was it's in that passage, Paul talks about take off your old self, put on your new self, and your righteousness, and that kind of stuff. And we were talking about <clears throat> one of my one of my big things, and if, if I get to talk about Christianity with you at any length, is going to be I deplore growing up in the Bible, but like I deplore legalism, like I deplore this idea that Christianity is some sort of higher calling to a moral standard that's higher than everyone else. I think that absolutely plays into that. And we find that in the pages of scripture, but for so much of especially Southern Western church, you know, I'm talking about the Bible belt when I say that geographic region, it's been, Hey, come and behave this way and look this way. And I think, man, if the church began to not began to, but if the church would faithfully teach the gospel and then allow people to respond and live that out and then be an organization that demands to be a part of this, we need you to walk in this. We need you to submit to authority. We need you to walk alongside other believers. We need you to belong in community. That I I believe, and I think you see throughout the pages of Scripture, that that is going to be an organization that looks so drastically different to the world that it finds itself surrounded by, that for those on the outside looking in go, 
I want to be a part of that, even if I don't understand fully what I am a part of when I submit to that. And then as they're welcomed in, it's the church's job to go, here's what you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Here's, And so it's, I think apathy is often caused by a lot of us are, a lot of us as Christians, myself included at different times, so I own this conviction well in this conversation, we're apathetic to the work of the gospel in our own lives, right? And so it's like, I, I get this thing, I get this salvation, maybe it transforms my life, maybe it doesn't transform my life, or maybe it transforms one aspect of my life and I treat my wife better, but I don't do this or I don't do that. And it's not every fiber of my being I seek to ground in this transforming power and work of the gospel of Jesus redeeming me, leaving heaven, giving me a new identity. And the second that we drift back into apathy and then demand people not be apathetic, I think the real recognize real and the world recognizes fake. You know what I mean? And it's, it's easy to see we're calling you to be a part of an organization that we're kind of like, eh, whatever. And so... If I'm apathetic, why wouldn't they be? Hmm. So you um, think they're a reflection of our own apathy? Is yeah, I think it's, I think a lot of that apathy is created by us. Is created by mm-hmm. the by a, just a Western drift away from die to yourself, find joy in leaving this 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 quest for personal fulfillment behind. <laughs> so sa- interestingly, probably same conclusion in many ways, but very, very different approach to a thought process about it. Cause to me, I start thinking in terms of like, yes, historically the church has done a wonderful job of calling people who don't agree with our worldview to be obedient to principles that they also don't agree with, which is an absurd route to take. And yeah. I think you called it legalism. And I think that's a good name for it. Um, but now my concern is that we've drifted too far the other way, and especially in a postmodern era that we've hyper-spiritualized Christianity but removed the the joint venture towards righteousness as a community from it. Yeah, and I think it's completely emptied out like any of the meaning beyond the initial connection with spiritual yeah. connection with Christ and redemption. Yeah. There's no call to holiness. You come just like you are and then you stay just like you are, but now you can just be a part of it. So yeah. Well, and we, and we talked about that some last week. Um, that's just a concern I'm still working through. Cause I, in many ways, I want to be extra, extra cautious about not putting the yoke of the old covenant back on mm. a body of believers, myself or the people that I love and care about that do consider themselves part a part of the church or a part of the Christian faith. Yeah. But at the same time, like there's so much meaning to be found in like a call towards something higher, a call mm-hmm. toward holiness. And in many ways that manifests through righteousness. Yeah. I don't know. And this is a shameless story. I don't know if you've ever read these books, but I saw a post on somebody's Instagram, a pastor put up on Instagram and me think about it, like books that are worn out other than the Bible in your book and two of them in mine that I think really, really helped illuminate this for me, this conversation of legalism versus apathy to moralism, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And both sides of that coin, uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I don't know if you've read that mm-hmm. one. And then Holiness by J.C. Ryle are just two books that were like, man, I read these books and I'll, I'll be honest with you, like it, if you, they might not be for you. Like if if you're a huge like fiction fan, because they're not going to go that way, right? They're super heady theological books, but they're also really, really, really deep with God's grace. And I would just encourage you, man, jump in some books like that, or talk to some people who have, who maybe grasp that concept not in fullness, because I don't know that there's you know that's such a huge concept, but yeah. but that have spent some time in there, because it's 
unbelievable when you begin to wrestle those kind of concepts. I'll maybe have to get that a reread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but I, I guess the the deeper we dig, the more I realize maybe the problem is not that there's not an incentive. It's that the things that should be incentivizing it aren't viewed as attractive mm-hmm. or alluring because you think about what you do get out of like officially in some capacity, like submitting yourself to the authority of the church as a body or the church leadership. You get things like um, accountability. You get something like a moral authority, not just from God's word, but from the preaching of it, from pastoral staff. Um, you get uh, faithfulness to a community of believers in the form of sure. like maybe a home group or the body as a whole. Like you, you do get things out of it. it we just don't seem to. Yeah, maybe and I think all of those as, things, and that's for me, kind of where I was trying to. And you did a good job articulating it there. Is like all of those things have been designed historically. If you back up and look at why all of those things exist, to lead us to a deeper walk with Jesus, which allows us to experience a deeper joy. But again, but the struggle is maybe the reason. I'm literally just thinking this out now, but maybe the reason that they don't seem as alluring now is because every single one of those things I just listed has been used to take advantage of people. Absolutely. By churches yeah. and other institutions. James, right? James said he's seen things. He's seen things. <laughs> I've seen things. He's seen them. <laughs> no, that's good. That's an interesting thought. That's really so good. Maybe that's part of the, the the struggle that we're having with trying to figure out. Yeah, but I think this, that's a, that's a, you know, membership. that's Genesis three to now lesson. And we've taken good things and done really bad things with them. That's yeah. History. Well, and it's like, <laughs> you know, this is the question that's been bouncing in my, in my head um, from last week until now is I imagine you have some number of people that are a little bit nervous to make any kind of long-term commitment or official commitment to a church because they're just not sure how things are going to turn mm-hmm. out. And the first thing I thought to myself was, well, Uh, again thinking about it in the context of like marriage as a parallel like i didn't know how things were going to turn out with ashton but the long-term commitment means that i was making a choice to do everything i could to make it turn out in a specific way but and i think that's tough with church right because where do you draw the the line but i think that's the break and you understand the biblical like call of like the different responsibilities and roles in church is like I think it's a bad understanding of this concept as a whole to go, I'm a member, and that means that I'm signing on the dotting line and I'm supporting no matter what. Like my understanding, and obviously I'm not a senior pastor of a church, but be like, I want members involved, right? Like I want I want input. Like I want us to be a body of believers that all of us, regardless of how important we believe we are, play a role in that. And so it's just like in the marriage, like there's going to be moments when you get married that it's difficult mm-hmm. and you it's this weird kind of world where you think like, and maybe it's our fault as church leadership. Like when things get difficult, our body doesn't have any way to communicate with the head, which ultimately the head is the church is Jesus. So that's not a great illustration, but with the head, as far as like the pastoral staff or however your church is led or functions. And so it's like people get frustrated when Sunday school or small groups or preaching doesn't go the way they want it to go. or think it should go or doesn't go biblical. And there's no, there's no way to manifest that. That's for the benefit of the entire organization. And so people just leave or pastors get frustrated or pastors, even worse, seclude themselves and don't take criticism from anyone and don't mm-hmm. listen to anyone. And it's just, well, this is the way I'm going to preach. And if you don't like it, then go be a part of a different church instead of going, hey, maybe these people that God has put in your church might have something to communicate with you as the person who has authority over the church that will help you. And I think that's the much more biblical view of we share all things praise criticism all those things yeah but for, i mean for obvious reasons that gets a lot messier than sure. um maybe we'd prefer yeah. and that doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't operate that way but what it does mean is that 
you end up with like a very hazy, one might even say gray <laughs> area. <laughs> Um, where it's really hard to figure out like how what constitutes personal preference and what constitutes like I don't know reason to speak out and reason to try to like partner with my church in creating something that's more reflective of the kingdom yeah because you have people with especially speaking from somebody who leads in an area where like everyone has a very strong preference yeah um, or almost everyone like it's it can be really difficult for people as they're experiencing their preferences mm -hmm. to know for sure the difference between the Holy Spirit is leading me to steer our church as someone who's not the leader in the direction that I prefer versus I just prefer this, but I've submitted myself to this church. Yeah. Like it's really hard to figure out where that line is. And that's also true for like spiritual truth. Like what if you have a particular interpretation of a passage of scripture that your pastor may not share or that the church and their official beliefs does not share? Like, is it still okay for you to submit to membership or would that not be a good idea from the very beginning because you're submitting to an authority that you don't agree with right from the get go? Yeah. I think, and I think that's one of the, one of the, like the reasons that we were all passionate when we started this podcast is that the heart of that question, right? Like is, not not trying to immediately jump to hardline conclusions when a roundtable discussion can do so much more to edify everyone involved, right? Yeah. And I think regardless of if we're talking about church music or message or interpretation of a passage or those kind of things, you know, I had a seminary professor that says theology, his tagline is theology is always best done as a team sport. Like, and it's because we read things, we view things, we process things, we orient our opinions around things based off of the predefined circumstances that we know in our life. I know, Ben, you teach our groups in the gray on uh, biblical interpretation. That's one of your big things. Like, you can only bring to this what you bring to this, mm -hmm. right? Like, this that's all that you can operate is inside of this box. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the, you're talking about the great draws that maybe lead people away from apathy is, hey, come and experience, it's the great call to community, come and experience this, not outside of some, like, outside of the biblical way that this is meant to be, but inside of those biblical constraints, but read through a completely different lens from completely different understanding that leads to a greater and more pure, true, full view of God's grace and mercy through that passage or through that song or through whatever it is. And that's, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I don't know that we tied a bow on this, but we're now at almost 40 minutes. So I think that now is the time we conclude the conversation on membership. Um, can Maybe we should make some kind of summative statement based on what we did get to. Yes. Would that be helpful? Yes. Is anybody up for that challenge? Yeah, you sum it up, Ben. You're the bow tire. <laughs> I can try. I was hoping you would actually jump on that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Guess not. Hard pass. I don't. I think what we've discovered is that there's certainly something worthwhile to membership. Um, although the thing that's worthwhile about it seems to be a little bit more nebulous and hard to pin down than we initially thought it was. I think it's exactly as much a gray area as we figured it might be when we started this conversation. But I think it's like, it seems to be a lot like giving in the sense that like our hope for, for us as a church body, not just us as leaders, but us as also people who have shared responsibility in the ministry of this church that it would be something that we desire to submit ourselves for our own betterment and so that we can have the fulfillment of responsibility for the church as an organization. That's a lot of words that are real confusing just to say membership does seem to matter. Um, 
Yeah, and then if if I could, I will jump in, even though I said hard pass. Please, God, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think the other piece. So that would be kind of if you're listening and you're not church leadership, and then I would almost I would almost add to that to tie the bow on maybe one of the deep convictions as a church leader that I felt in this conversation as we started into it is it's very very difficult in the culture that we live in to create something to be a part of helping facilitate something that looks like church membership that's meaningful for more than happiness and it's going to be unbelievably difficult and probably at moments discouraging for us at church leadership because people don't really do difficult things very well for long periods of time but i i would i would implore and i I would beg for myself through the power of the holy spirit and for you as a pastor church leader if you're listening to this to to fight that fight Mm -hmm. to to that i believe our calling is to create that to create something that meets people where they are and this is so cliched but but it's so true that meets people where they are and then calls them to change in response not to our church organization or a dynamic sermon or great music or lights and haze or any of that kind of stuff but to a presentation of the gospel and then that gospel fleshed out by the rest of the body of believers that you've helped to create and develop and that's so difficult but it's it's also the I think one of the greatest joy-producing things that we can do as church leaders. So fight that fight. Yeah, and I think even adding on to that, maybe for anybody who's experiencing a little bit of hesitancy or or feeling tentative about the idea of becoming a a member because they're afraid of what it means for them to submit themselves for the church or even possibly receive like some kind of disciplinary action from the church. Our desire is, or at least my desire, is not for anyone to ever submit to a human authority Mm but to submit to God's authority mutually alongside a community. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to end. Cool. Well, thank you all. Our next episode, get ready for it, church attendance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We we tackled membership first, but why do I even have to go to church physically? Uh Whether at all or online or the cliffhanger question will some of you have to put actual pants on and change out of your sweatpants for the first time since 2020 here's a sub question <laughs> does listening to the grace and the gray podcast constitute a church attendance <laughs> do you get one coin yeah you get one credit in your account <laughs> all right we'll see you back in two weeks in the meantime keep up with us on social media at grace and the gray podcast see you then